and welcome to Kickback, the global anti-corruption podcast. Enjoy today's episode of this joint production of the Interdisciplinary Corruption Research Network and the Global Anti-Corruption Blog. If you want to get in touch with the show, follow us on Facebook or Twitter using the handle at KickbackGAP. Welcome to this episode of Kickback, the global anti-corruption podcast. This is Matthew Stevenson, and I'm happy today to be joined by Leonor Ortiz and Miguel Mesa, both of whom work for the Mexican anti-corruption civil society organization Mexicanos contra la Corrupción y la Impunidad, MCCI, for those of us who, like me, struggle with the Spanish pronunciation, uh, translations Mexicans Against Corruption and Impunity. Uh, Leonor is a researcher at MCCI's Applied Research Unit, and Miguel is a lawyer at MCCI's Strategic Litigation Unit. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. So let me begin our conversation by uh, tell our listeners a little bit about MCCI's history and what it does, what kind of an organization is it, what sorts of anti-corruption work does it do? Leonor, maybe I can ask you to begin here. Sure. Okay, so MCCI was founded over three years ago, so not that long ago. There's four areas in the organization. The primary area, the biggest one, is the journalism area. And so there's about 20 journalists, and they do huge investigative journalism projects, all related to corruption. That's also the area that has made us, I wouldn't say famous, but that's the area that's more unknown to the public. There's a second area where I work, and it's the applied research area. There's five of us, and we do, we kind of work like a think tank where we do research and propose public policy solutions for um, corruption issues in Mexico, but also transparency, impunity, that sort of thing. There's a third area where Miguel works, and those are the lawyers, and there's, I think, around 10 of you, and they do strategic litigation. That area was um, the smallest one, and it started growing, and they basically do strategic projects, litigation against the government in terms of very specific projects that concern corruption or impunity, more impunity, I would say. And then finally, there's a fourth area that's communications, and they are basically in charge of socializing and putting out all the work that we do and making sure that as many people as possible are able to read what we do and have access to the information that we put out. So I'd also like to know a little bit about each of you personally, how you ended up working at MCCI, what was it that led you to work uh, for a corruption NGO in this area? So, um, Miguel, I want to come to you in a moment, but Leonor, let me just ask you to continue for a moment. What, what, what led you here? Sure. So, I was a consultant. I worked for a forensic consulting firm, and I would do audits. And I would do pretty similar work to what I do now, but for a private firm, I would do um, research on corruption scandals that would happen inside firms. And that was very interesting work for me, 
But it was also very frustrating because at the end of the day, I would create beautiful or at least beautiful to me reports, hand them out to the client, and then they would be very happy about it, put it in a drawer and never talk about it again because that would be a liability to the firm. So after two years, I decided I was done researching corruption if that led to nothing. And so I went to grad school to figure out my life. And I realized there were at that time that was over two years ago civil society in Mexico was becoming very strong and there were a bunch of organizations and think tanks that were dealing with topics that were very interesting to me and I realized that was a good outlet for me to talk about corruption in a setting that was much more public and focused on informing people and maybe even providing solutions on issues that were important to me and so that's how eventually I came to work to MCCI. And Miguel, what about you? So your background, your training is as a lawyer, and now you work doing strategic litigation for MCCI. What led you to apply your legal skills in this particular context? Well, actually, when I started my professional life, we were living in one of the most corrupt governments that we have had in the last decades. So I was very angry for many years for what was happening in this country. And MCCI was one of the organizations that denounced the biggest cases of corruption in Mexico, like Odebrecht and other cases. So I think this was the place, the best place that you could do something against corruption that wasn't government. So as a lawyer, I uh, found out that they had this strategic litigation area that most of the associations in other countries that only do journalism or only do investigation don't have. So we accompany many of these studies and uh, investigations with um, a strategic litigation after it's found out by our uh, same organization. So we, what we do is we try to fight cases that have a lot of impunity, uh, some cases that were never prosecuted and that someone has to have a, a responsibility for that but we also try to stop big governmental projects through uh, empire trials that in Mexico are a, a good way of stopping huge um, amounts of uh, resources getting in the hands of corrupt projects that, that are designed that way in the beginning. So it was kind of a congenital thing that it was there, the, the organization, and it was one of the most relevant ones in the country. So I want to follow up on that in terms of what strategic litigation in the anti-corruption context looks like in a country like Mexico. So you already started to describe it. I'd like to hear a little bit more about it. So the second thing you mentioned is Amparo suits. So the Amparo is a legal mechanism that's common in Latin America. Many of our listeners may be familiar with it, but others may not be so familiar. So could you say a little bit more about what exactly this legal mechanism is. It's not specific to corruption or anti-corruption, but, but explain a little bit for our, our readers who are, our readers, listeners who are less familiar with this, uh, how it works. And then maybe could you give an example, a specific example of how you've used this mechanism to stop a particular project and how that ties together with MCCI's anti-corruption mission? It's a way of doing constitutional control over the acts of the administration or over loss. So you, through an, an Amparo suit, you can stop maybe uh, the government from implementing a big project. 
a big infrastructure project, or you can also try to invalidate arbitrary law. So what we try to do is find the biggest projects in means of how, how much money is being spent there. We try to find the most arbitrary new laws or old laws and try to have a global impact. It's not just about specific cases. This is a very weird thing in the world that Amparo Trial has this principle that it can only benefit the ones that are uh, promoting it. But there are ways to try to avoid that principle and cause big changes in the legal system. So, for example, we try to uh, invalidate a law that was limiting the transparency in the judiciary by many empire trials in some states of Mexico. We have to, to achieve five uh, empire trials that give us a reason. And when we achieve those five empire trials, this federal law can be invalidated. That's one, one example that is trying not to have a, a local impact, but a global impact by many small cases. Another one is that we stopped the, um, an infrastructure uh, project. This was from private uh, inversion, but they got the permissions through their links with an, a local government. And at the end, we saved around 200,000 trees and we stopped them from building 25,000 uh, houses in a natural area that should have been protected, but by uh, their links with the government and the corruption in the government, they got the permissions to destroy all of that. Just, just to clarify, when you, in that second example that you gave, when you brought the suit to block the project, was the legal argument that you made, the constitutional argument that you made, that the project was illegal because of corruption in these links? Or is the idea that corruption and these impermissible links was a background concern, but the formal legal basis for blocking the project was something else? I mean, what I'm getting at is, are you going to court saying, court blocked this project because it was corruption that enabled it to go forward? Or is it more like you're going to court saying the right procedures weren't followed or there was some other aspect of the decision making that was arbitrary, but that you're not asking the court to rule on corruption issues specifically? Yeah, in an empowered trial, you can't ask for criminal responsibility. So we don't try to, to prove corruption, but we do prove uh, some violations to the law in the crop contracts that they got. Uh, we assume and we know by periodistic investigations that they come from corruption. But with the uh, empire judges, we only argument the illegal things that are around these contracts and also the, the negative impacts that it will have on the health of people, on the right to a, a healthy natural environment, etc. Great. So I want to pick up on something you said just a moment ago when you were talking about your own background and why you decided to devote your legal talents to an organization like MCCI as opposed to maybe going to work for a, a private firm or doing some other kind of work. And that was your anger at the, corrupt, at the corruption in the previous administration in Mexico. I assume that was the one that you were referring to. Yes. Mm -hmm. So my understanding, not being an expert on Mexico, but I can't help but have observed that that anger at corruption in the previous administration seems to have been widely shared. And the new president of Mexico, President uh, Lopez Obrador, I guess AMLO for the abbreviation for his full name, uh, campaigned 
on an anti-corruption platform. His party campaigned on an anti-corruption platform and was quite successful. We can never know for sure uh, all of the reasons that he won. He also uh, emphasized the need to help Mexico's poor, for example. But it seems like this anger at corruption in Mexico was widely shared. And at least in some quarters, there was some optimism that President López Obrador would be successful in that he seemed to put so much priority on this issue in making progress. So maybe, Leonor, let me, let me turn to you, although I want to hear both of your voices on this. Now that we're some period of time into the AMLO administration, how long are we in now? How many? How, it's uh, over about, six months. It's been over yeah. six months. So from where you sit as a researcher with a civil society organization that's devoted to this issue, uh, that was working on these issues in the previous administration, how would you evaluate the AMLO administration's anti-corruption efforts so far? Where do you think the Lopez Obrador administration has done things that you would view as positive, and where do you see challenges, or where do you have concerns about the way the administration is approaching this issue? Sure. Um, well, I would like to start by saying that AMLO has run for president. This is the third time he ran for president. And so we analyzed all of his public speeches over the last three elections to see, and we found out that this was not the campaign where he said the word corruption the most. It was actually the last campaign. That was very interesting to us because we were pretty sure that his campaign was based on fighting corruption. But it turns out that that's, that has been, we forgot about it, but that has been his old discourse for over more than a decade now. So he won by a lot with that argument. And so what happened was very interesting. So before AMLO um, got in power, Everyone was very concerned about corruption. Everyone perceived the government as super corrupt and everyone perceived the country as needing to change immediately. And so when AMLO came to power, the discussion changed completely. The laws are the same. No real policy fighting corruption has been implemented or not implemented completely, but the, but the discourse has changed completely. We do not talk about corruption anymore. That is not in the public ag agenda anymore. It's a word that is still thrown around a lot, but more as a um, victory and as signaling good guys versus bad guys versus a problem. And so that has been, I would say, a challenge for organizations such as us, because we were born, our organization was born in that discourse of corruption and we were relevant because everyone wanted to talk about corruption and everyone wanted solutions. And now we don't even need the solutions because we don't talk about it anymore. That's a non-issue. And it's not true. Nothing has changed de facto, but it's the new, the new way of how things are working. And so that, that has been very complicated to navigate because me as, an, as a researcher, my job with me would be to analyze the new policy and to um, come up with maybe suggestions and say what's good and what isn't good. But that has become very complicated because no one wants to talk about it anymore because it's done and we don't talk about corruptions because we have a new government. So that has been complicated. That being said, I do think that there has been not a bunch of new policies, but there has been a few important things that have been approved. One measure that we have talked about a lot in our organization and with the press that I'm not super convinced about, and since we have a lawyer, he can maybe talk about a lot 
more later. So we added two new, I guess in English you would call felonies. So now we have two new felonies that are related to corruption and they are regarded as delitos graves, so aggravated um, felonies. So that means that now the president brags about it a lot, corruption is a delito grave. And what that means is that if you're charged with that, you go straight to jail during the process of your trial. And so they advertised it as a victory because now punishment goes up, it's a bigger deterrent, but impunity in Mexico is, the rates are super high for corruption acts. It's around 97%. So no one goes to prison for corruption and no one even goes to trial for corruption. So if you add these felonies and you implement this new policy, you're not adding to the solution at all. You're just putting it on the papers and bragging about it. But that, if you if you don't bring out the impunity rates below, and so nothing is gonna change. So that's one of the huge things that AMLO has done. Another thing that I think it's a good policy, and I would like to add that it's not also terrible. There has been a lot of, at least in the discourse, of bringing the private sector into the discourse and into the accountability, and so. Not a lot has been done, but there has been a lot of talk about what can the government do to maybe sanction the private sector or just bring them into the conversation. And that was not even the discussion before. So that, I think, is a good thing. Let me follow up on that first thing that you said about how after AMLO was elected, the conversation in Mexico about corruption seemed to have dropped mm -hmm. off dramatically. That I found that really striking, and it it wasn't something that I knew about. I guess maybe it's because the the Mexican people that I tend to talk to on a regular basis are people in the anti-corruption world, so they're still talking about it, and it hadn't occurred to me that it was not as salient a political issue, and that strikes me as very puzzling because we have many examples of politicians who run and win on an anti-corruption platform. But typically, at least in the first year or so after they're elected, if they ran as anti-corruption politicians, they, they continue to focus on that issue, partly, I, I assume, because if they didn't, then you would think their voters, people like Miguel, who were so exercised about the corruption of the previous administration, would be frustrated or disappointed. So with that long lead up, can you give an account of why it is so that this issue that seemed to be so much on the minds of the people before the election dropped off. I mean, one possibility is many of Lopez Obrador's voters just believed that by virtue of his election, the problem would be solved. I guess that's possible. It seems a little strange. If you look at polling data, again, you're a researcher. I don't know if you work on this. If you look at polling data, do the percentage of Mexicans who say corruption is one of the biggest problems facing the country, has that dropped substantially? What can you, how can you account for the fact that this issue that motivated, seems to have motivated so many Mexican citizens less than a year ago, now you say isn't even something people want to talk about very much? Right. Well, yeah, as I was saying, polling data uh, was showing year to year that corruption was one of the main concerns of Mexicans and each year it grew and again it's been almost a year but not even so it's pretty early on but um all the polling data that we have shows that it decreased by a significant amount and i think one of the reasons why this happened is because amlo had a very smart way of framing corruption as an ethics issue and a good guys versus guy bad guys issue 
He didn't talk about networks. He didn't talk about schemes. He talked about morale and ethics. And he talked about good guys versus bad guys. And it is true that with this new administration, there was a lot of people that left the public service and a lot of new people coming in. And a lot of the new people coming in had never worked in the government before or hadn't worked in the government for over a decade. So the bad guys left and the good guys came in and the clean guys came in. And that is something that easy to grab that message and and it has worked very well and it's all based on morale and ethics and will to do good instead of something else something weird that i would like to point out is that there has been a couple of corruption scandals in this administration already one of the well a guy that's in he's head of the national electricity corporation he had a pretty big corruption scandal And he's pretty close to the president. And somehow, and it's very startling, that didn't change the course of the discourse. And it's still perceived as if corruption wasn't a big issue anymore. And as if the new government was clean or was so much more better than the last one. And it isn't. It's just a way of framing it. And I think he, AMLO has done a very good job as, at framing it. I, I think that's the main answer I have. Let me pick up on something you just said a moment ago about the people mm -hmm. that the administration has brought in. So many people, not in Mexico specifically, generally think that would say that one of the ways you can figure out if a new leader is serious about fighting corruption is to look at the people that that leader places in key posts, especially though not exclusively law enforcement posts. And I'm curious, and maybe Miguel, let me turn to you for this one, and, and don't, feel, don't feel like you need to limit your answer to specifically law enforcement or other legal posts, although given your expertise, I'd be especially interested in your views there. If you look at the people that President Lopez Obrador has brought into his administration, prosecutor general, cabinet ministers whose portfolio would include significant anti-corruption issues, other key positions... Would your assessment be that he's done a, at least a fairly good job of bringing in people of high integrity and high levels of competence and commitment to anti-corruption? Or would you express concerns that whatever his rhetoric about cleaning up the government, the personnel that he's putting in place uh, would give you some discomfort about how serious he was about this agenda? In first place, we have to mark a difference with the previous government that we all have the notion that they were rich guys that got to the government to make uh, their private businesses. So I think there's a difference that we don't perceive that anymore, that uh, these millionaires that get to the government and, and just use it to, to make more millionaire. But I don't think that we are seeing a, a new kind of political class with more integrity. We have in this government a lot of people that were not the bad guys six years ago, but 30 or 40 years ago. Actually, one of them, the one that Leonor was talking about, was the responsible for, for making one of the biggest electoral frauds in Mexico when the electoral system counting votes fell and then his candidate won. So he, he is one of the biggest images of corruption in Mexico and he has a lot of people near him that are also um, business persons that are promoting their own interests. And we, we have to turn and see the, 
people that he has appointed in many places. I see it as a way of capturing their weights and balances. So in first place, uh, the general attorney, general prosecutor in Mexico, he's a new person from López Obrador. And here in Mexico, it doesn't work like you have a big institution with a good design that can allow you to have a non-independent uh, head, but it still works. No, in Mexico, uh, we don't have these institutions built in the inside. So when you put someone that is near uh, to the president in one of those places, the whole institution works for the president. And this has happened not only in there. In Mexico, we, we don't have only the division of power in three branches, but we have a lot of uh, organisms that are, are autonomous and that they should be a check and balance for the government in matter of transparency, in matter of uh, external fiscalization, in a lot of things. And this last year, the systematic practice of the government is uh, to appoint very near people to his government in all of those spaces to try to uh, mitigate those checks and balances. And for example, the woman that has just been named, she is a militant in the uh, party of the government in Morena. And she also was a directive in that, that party. Uh, one of the conditions to be the ombudsperson in Mexico is that you haven't been a militant for the past year. She lied on some declarations that she, she uh, made in the Senate of Mexico. And she declared that she have, haven't been in, in a direction in the party for the last year. But we have documents that prove that she was actively using that space. So I think uh, what we're seeing is a capturation of all of these uh, autonomous organisms and also of our Supreme Court. Uh, he has named also very new, new people to him that helped him, for example, to build uh, big infrastructure projects when he was in the local government of Mexico City uh, on, the, on the Supreme Court. And there is, um, I, I share that preoccupation that the court is losing its independency. And not only the court, but all of federal judges that we uh, go with them when we try to get an empire trial against the federal administration, and now they're turning for the government. So I think the, the appointments are, first, they're not more ethical persons, and in second place, their conflicts of interest with the actual government will make them uh, do a, a worse job than they were doing in past years. So I take it, if what Leonardo said a moment ago is, is right, or maybe I, I might have misunderstood it or exaggerated, but it sounds like so far President Lopez Obrador has not paid a significant political cost for some of the moves that he's made that are viewed by, let's say, anti-corruption professionals, people like you or others who work on this for a living, view as, as not good for corruption, especially maybe appointing somebody who's himself tainted. Do you, uh, Miguel, share Leonor's understanding or interpretation of why this is so? Because again, it might seem to be a bit of a puzzle that if one of the reasons he was electorally successful was a belief that he was going to fight corruption, then he's doing things that, again, the anti-corruption professionals are saying 
uh, are not helping with the fight of fight against corruption. I mean, one possibility, I'll just throw some of these out here, but really I want to hear from you. One possibility is that a great many Mexican citizens, even if they're well-intentioned uh, and really care about this issue, the things that President Lopez Obrador is doing that are not good for corruption are not so visible. So if you have a a president whose wife is getting like a multi-million dollar payoffs, that's in the front page. Ordinary people can understand that. We're undermining the autonomy of the prosecutor general is, is something people can't really see. Another hypothesis that I'll throw out there is maybe actually President Lopez Obrador's electoral support was not really based so much on his anti-corruption platform, that that was a convenient slogan or rhetoric, but that actually the people who voted for him, even if they said it was for anti-corruption purposes, really uh, there were other factors. And I say this partly as as someone from the United States, President Trump, when he campaigned, used all this rhetoric about draining the swamp, and many of his supporters said they wanted to drain the swamp, that being a, a metaphor for cleaning up Washington, D.C. And I think now there's very good evidence that that was just a slogan and not only was President Trump never really committed to that idea, but his supporters were never really committed to that idea either. They just didn't want to say out loud the real reasons that they were supportive of the, of the president. So those are two possibilities, but but I don't really know. Can you give some account? What, what do you think is the most plausible explanation for why if President Lopez Obrador is doing certain things, we don't have to say like his whole administration is terrible, but if he's doing certain things that the anti-corruption community is saying are counterproductive, not good, not in keeping with the rhetoric of ethics and anti-corruption, why is the general Mexican public apparently sufficiently convinced that everything is fine, that it doesn't even register as a major issue the way it did just less than a year ago? I think one of the reasons is this easy speech of voluntarism, that he says that only with his uh, goodwill he will change what is happening. I will put a few examples. He said that when he got to government, he will clean the stairs from the top to the bottom. One day in one of his conferences, being a president, he said that he that day declared the end of corruption in Mexican history. And he has he has a really good rhetoric, but to understand this, you need to remember that he has two hours of national television every day from Monday through Friday. So that mediatic power is very easy to, to use it to direct the public conversation wherever you want it. So he can use it either to prosecute in the, in the public debate a supposed corrupt person or he can use it to, to change the conversation that day when you find a scandal of his government. And also, it haven't been uh, sufficient time, so the big scandals come out. I think we have to wait a little more time and all of this institutional capturation and destruction that I think he's committing uh, will eventually result in less control and in big scandals of corruption in his government. Other two explanations are that he's approving a lot of punitive laws. So, for example, this uh, preventive prison that he's approving for many felonies, it sounds good for people. They think that if you have higher penalties or if people go to jail, or even if you're uh, hearing the, the word grave, the word uh, that it's... Um, severe. Severe punishment. They think that the government finally is doing something 
But at the end, this only is worse for the poor people that are the ones that can't pay a lawyer, that can't pay an appellate trial, and then that can't pay uh, all the process so they prove their innocence. And in another hand, we have the use of the political use of the prosecution of felonies. So I think that he is prosecuting more felonies in general, but he's also using that to uncover that he prosecutes the, the ones that he doesn't like, the ones that he wants to take away and to, to gain those spaces of empty power. For example, a judge in the Supreme Court was supposedly, uh, they, they, they froze his uh, bank accounts and at the day after he presented his resignation and then when he presented the, his resignation then the party of Lopez Obrador has a, a new appointment to make in the Supreme Court and another space of power to win and another check and balance to gain and after they achieved that they unblocked the bank's accounts and the case is in impunity now. So he's using very clearly the power of the state to persecute these spaces of power that they want to put their people in. And that also can help to legitimate a little his supposed uh, prosecution of corruption. And well, many people see it as impartial and as, as we finally are doing something. So let me pick up on the prosecution's point, because you were emphasizing concerns about politicization of prosecutions. But I gather another controversial aspect of the way the Lopez Obrador administration is, is choosing to approach anti-corruption, especially in the context of prosecution, was uh, President Lopez Obrador's declaration relatively early in his presidency that he did not intend to vigorously prosecute acts of corruption that took place before his election. And I know that this is described by at least some in the Mexican anti-corruption community as an amnesty, even though I think as a legal matter, it's not technically an amnesty because they're not absolved, but it's more like my understanding, and correct me if I've got this wrong, as an exercise of prosecutorial discretion. And President Lopez Obrador indicated that he didn't think that the prosecutors should pursue cases for conduct that, that preceded his administration. And I gather there are two concerns here. One, Miguel, relates to something you said before, that, it, that in Mexico, it might be considered inappropriate for the president to direct or pressure the prosecutor general with respect to the exercise of prosecutorial discretion. But, but putting that aside for the moment, focusing less on the propriety of the president purporting to direct the prosecutor general, I, I want to hear a little bit about what you think of the idea itself. So Leonor, maybe let me come back to you. So first, do I have, was my characterization accurate? Is this basically an accurate representation of what happened? And assuming that it is, what is your assessment or the assessment you think if there's a consensus among the Mexican anti-corruption community for this aspect of President Lopez Obrador's approach to the corruption issue? Um, yeah, I think you're correct. And I think it was a very smart move of him to state that. Why? Because if he wanted to prosecute all the scandals just in the last three years that came up, what would happen if they would try to if they would go to trial and then fail because they didn't have enough information? So he would stand as this president that um, built a campaign 
against corruption and then wasn't even able to bring the bad guys to get a sentence for the bad guys, right? So I think that was very smart. I think it was a little bit of protection of saying impunity is so high in some aspects because uh, the prosecutor's office most of the times fail to have enough information for a number of reasons to bring to trial. And so that was a big risk that he wasn't willing to take. And so that was a maneuver that he had, and I think that was well played. Another reason why I think he um, he said that, that he was gonna have a clean slate, is because he would never stop. If he wanted to go ba- go backwards, there were so many cases that he would never stop, and that would be his whole administration. And he want he wants to change the country, and he wants to change a bunch of things. So he's like moving forward and changing everything forward instead of um, looking backwards. But that being say, said, there has been a couple of cases that are being prosecuted right now that come from the previous administration. And those cases are, I think, as it has happened in every administration before him, examples to set, being saying, signaling, okay, this was a huge scandal. I know what you're doing. I'm not going to go against everyone. I'm going to choose one example and I'm going to make an example out of it and I'm going to signal to people that I'm being serious. So he has done that. Miguel can talk more about it, but it's still in trial. But I, I think it was a risky move, but it was a, I think it was a good um, measure for him to say that. Because again, even if he wanted to end corruption, he's just one, I mean, he is a president, but he is one person and there's a bunch of processes and institutions and laws that that's what we really need to change to fight corruption. So. What we need to change, I think, is the levels of impunity that we have. And that doesn't change without, with one president or the other and with one political view or the other. And he knows that too. And he knows how hard it would be to change a bunch of laws and to change a bunch of processes and systems that work. So he knows that, that that's so complicated that he's not willing to risk his government for that. So it's interesting to hear the way you address this issue because... Correct me if I'm misunderstanding you. You sound like you're more positive on uh, President Lopez Obrador's decision to pursue this basically what you called clean slate policy, though with one or two exceptions to make examples. And I, I say I was a little bit surprised by your answer simply because, uh, first, you've seemed very critical of President Lopez Obrador in other respects. But second, Many people that I've had the opportunity to speak with in the Mexican anti-corruption community, including a number of your colleagues at MCCI, have focused in particular on this aspect of President Lopez Obrador's approach to this issue as a, a bad thing, as a focus of criticism, as the sense that this is, again, they, they use the word amnesty or, or perpetuating the impunity. So am I correct that you are more sympathetic to AMLO's clean slate approach than maybe others in the in the anti-corruption community in Mexico? Um, I mean, I, I do not agree with it at all, but I, I understand it. And I think it makes a lot of sense politically. And I think he's a very smart guy trying to stay in power and trying to have public opinion on his side. And he, he doesn't want to lose support. And he would lose support if someone goes to trial and, and they're not able to sentence him. And I think that's what would happen. I would love for people from the previous administration to be prosecuted. I would love to have even the past president or some of the 
um, some of the ministers, of people that were involved in Obedrecht, I would love for them to be prosecuted, but I, I clearly understand, understand the strategy and I see that he's doing it for the long run. And I think it was never in his agenda to do it. It was just a discourse for the, for the election. I want to bring you in on this in a moment, Miguel, but let me just, I want to press you on one aspect of this, which is that you, I had misunderstood your position before. I had thought you were more sympathetic and you just said in no uncertain terms, you don't agree with this at all. But I'm a little bit curious why not, given the things that you said. So I can, I, I can, let me put it this way. I don't, I'm not in any position to judge whether in the specific Mexican context, President Lopez Obrador's clean slate approach is a good idea or a bad idea. But I can at least see some plausible arguments in favor of it, some of which you gave. So uh, one that you highlighted is there are high risks of trying to go after some of these cases where the evidence is not that strong and losing. Second, it could be a huge resource drain because there's all this stuff that happened in the past and we want to build a new country. We want to look to the future and it's just not worth it. A third argument that may be related to that point but might be a little bit different is, well, in a country like Mexico that's had such a big problem with systemic corruption where so many people, maybe almost everyone in elite politics, has been touched by it in one way or the other, if you really decide you want to go after all of the corrupt acts in the past, you may end up wiping out major political parties, destabilizing the political environment, causing the sort of political collapse that we've seen in places like Italy, where anti-corruption investigations went this far. And then finally, there's a bad history in many parts of the world if a new administration comes in, says we care about anti-corruption, but then immediately goes after their political opponents in the last administration. And that often heightens public cynicism that the rhetoric of anti-corruption is really just about punishing your predecessors and one way to signal that actually I'm sincere about anti-corruption for the future and it's not just a convenient rhetoric to justify prosecuting my rivals is to do this sort of clean slate thing. So again, I'm not advocating it, but you were so vociferous in rejecting my misunderstanding that, that you actually thought this was the right move. Can you say a little bit more about, about why that is, I mean, given this cluster of arguments, plausible, good faith arguments that one could advance for doing something that, like what President Lopez Obrador did, why do you find those arguments unconvincing in the Mexican context right now? Sure. I guess I'm a Mexican citizen and I would like, I would like to see the consequences of someone committing such huge corruption acts. So corruption has always been very prevalent in the government in Mexico, but in the past 15 years, what we didn't have and we have now is freedom of the press. And so now we have corruption scandals because the press talks about it. And now we know about it and there's actually numbers and figures and we know how many millions of pesos were stolen and from where and went to where and what were the schemes. So people are more aware now and there's more outrage and so I would like to go step forward and I would like to see some consequences, maybe because it is my country and I don't want people to just walk down the street and everyone reads the paper so everyone knows what they did, but they just keep going on with their business. And so I guess that just, even though I, I understand all the other arguments and I think it is smart to have a policy like that, I'm also, like Miguel said before, I was very upset with the past administration and I would like to see some consequences and it's very unlikely that I would that we will see any or or maybe one or two more or examples but I don't think there's going to be huge consequences for the people that committed those like great corruption acts. Miguel, can I bring you in on this conversation this controversy about 
AMLO's uh, declaration that he didn't think, except in a few exceptional cases, the prosecution should really pursue criminal investigations for conduct that took place before uh, his own election. What's your perspective on this issue? Personally, I wouldn't have a problem with an amnesty if we have, uh, we're trying to make a transition in Mexico, but I think that is not what is happening. And also, it's not a thing about efficiency on the resources of the state. I think that that is not what he's doing. It's just a rhetoric. Uh, many of us, of us have this impression that he has made an impunity pact not with all the past administrations and all the past governments and all of the past local governments, but only with the federal past government and a really uh, reduced circle of people that includes the last president, Enrique Peña Nieto, and other near uh, officials from his government. So I wouldn't mind if it was a consistent actual amnesty. The thing is that it's only a group that is protected and I don't see these exceptional cases that they do are persecuting. The exception is the ones that are not being persecuted. So we have heard of many rumors and also uh, we see it on how they act. And the last government, the last president is all around the world having fun, not even trying to dissimulate all the money that he made or that he had before government. But López Obrador, in another hand, is prosecuting, at least in the, in the public rhetoric, the past, past administration, the government of the president uh, Calderón. So he hasn't left the past behind. The number one enemy of this president is president from the, from the past, that is, that is uh, Calderón. So I don't see this transition. I don't see this uh, reconciliation. I don't see this need to use efficiently the, the resources of the state. They just had this pact, I think, many of us think, and they are prosecuting now cases that were from the past, and in the present they are prosecuting only the ones that uh, are convenient for them or that are not from their allies. So in an overall look, I will say it's only a, another Another example of the political use of the, of the prosecution of justice and not a natural policy that this government has from leaving everything behind. Interesting. So both of you, I think, share a, a common conclusion. I do sense a little, the reasoning is a little bit different in that, uh, Leonor, your comments led me to believe that you would find a clean slate policy, even if it were implemented sincerely and for legitimate reasons, objectionable given your views as a Mexican citizen that these acts are so uh, egregious that they need to be punished. Whereas Miguel, you started out by saying that you wouldn't necessarily have a problem with a clean slate policy in principle if it were actually implemented sincerely and even handedly, but your view is that the, there's an alleged clean slate policy, but in fact, President Lopez Obrador hasn't followed up on that in a way that would be consistent with the more kind of good faith justifications that I suggested of that. Would you find that a fair characterization? Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're just about out of time. Both of you have been extremely generous uh, with your time and with your expertise, but I did want to close by giving you an opportunity to say a little bit about what you think 
the most important priorities should be for the Mexican, Mexican government in fighting corruption. And obviously, there's a lot that needs to be done. It could be a very long conversation. But I'm going to put you in the unfair position of trying to focus just very briefly on what you think the highest priority ought to be. And maybe let me frame this in the following imaginary scenario. Imagine that uh, President Lopez Obrador is actually listening to our podcast right now, or someone very close to him is listening to the podcast and is thinking, well, okay, you're very critical of me in all these different respects, but actually I'm sincere about this and I want to do something and you smart people in the anti-corruption community who are always criticizing me for everything, if you're so smart, like what should I do? If you have to, to give what the slang we sometimes use in the United States is the elevator pitch. Like you got 30 seconds in the elevator with somebody to say like, this is really the thing that you need to understand. If you were speaking right now to President Lopez Obrador or somebody very close to him, and that person seems sincere about wanting to know what you as anti-corruption experts think ought to be the highest priority, and you only have basically a minute to say, this is, this is the key thing that if you're going to focus on something, focus on this. As I said before, we need to talk about impunity, impunity through the roof. And if we're not talking about corruption, let's talk about impunity. We don't need to change the laws. We don't need to implement new policy. We need to use the laws that we have and we need to use the policy that we have and yeah, talk about impunity. Miguel? First of all, I will say him that concentration of power is not the exit to this problem. He has to trust that with a good uh, design of institutions, that with a, an adequate separation of power, he will get his objective of fighting corruption more than saying everyone to trust him and that he will solve everything. Because by putting his friends in all the places that uh, there should be some independency, he is caving his own failure. And in another hand, I will say him to invest in the system of justice in Mexico. We have very few ju uh, judges compared to all the, the world. And we also have uh, very few um, prosecutors in Mexico. We have mo most of the impunity is due, I think, to that we don't invest enough in those two things. So independently of if we have political prosecu prosecutions or not, we don't have the minimal resources to, to attend so many, many cases that we have of violence, of corruption, of any felony that is committed in Mexico. So I will tell him to stop also destroying what we already have built and to invest in justice and in prosecution of justice. Terrific. So President Lopez Obrador, if you're listening, pay attention to these two. They clearly know what they're talking about. Um, and thank you to both of you. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you want to help us out, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. It makes it much easier for others to find the show.